WWF has cancer because of Ric Flair. Flair's going to kill it. And the kind of cancer Flair gave the WWF is the slow eating kind of cancer. It's not quick. I'm not gonna let Ric Flair kill what I created. Me. The WWF is mine. It's mine. I created it. I'm not gonna let Ric Flair kill what I created. Because I'm going to. I'm going to kill my creation. I'm going to inject the WWF with a lethal dose of poison. If anybody's going to kill my creation, I'm going to do it. Me. And the end. W. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Matt Madness Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Ron Patchery Jr. With me this week, live from Sexyville, are my good friend, Mr. Sexy Punta Cana, then now forever, CK and Joe Rodermel. That poison coursing through your veins. (laughs) (laughs) That coronavirus. (laughs) (laughs) And as you just heard a moment ago, uh, Mr. Wednesday Night Live, we call him Alo. The ladies call him Balo, Aaron Lloyd. This week we are doing a review of No Way Out 2002. Uh, we mentioned it on the show last week. We are here to do it this week. So I don't know if anybody has any just thoughts right off, like right off the top that they want to want to mention before we do ratings. But. Uh, so, Ayla, I guess I'll ask you first because you chose this. What? Why did you choose this show in particular? Well, I chose this because it was basically the NWO getting inducted into the Hall of Fame this year, and this was their debut in the WWF. So I thought it would be pretty fun to actually discuss the train wreck that this actually became. <laughs> Apropos. Yeah. That, it, that only lasted four months, and then for only one month was actually worth it. Uh, so that's why I ended up deciding this paper because I thought it was pretty topical because of the induction of the NWO. I would have picked uh, Bash at the Beach, but it's not the month for that. So nah, I no. figured no way I'll be perfect. Kind of convenient to introduce the, the uh, New World Order at No Way Out. It's mm-hmm. very, I guess, uh, worked for advertisement yeah. purposes. Yeah, yeah three one of the best promos ever. Perfectly. The best promo ever. One of the best promos ever. Yeah, one of the greatest promos ever. Uh, Joey? So before we talk specifically about our review of it, like what did you remember of this, like this time period, this show, the NWO coming to WWF slash WWE? Well, I mean, what what did you, what were your thoughts before you even watched it? Like, what was your memory? For obvious reasons, Alo kind of touched on my, kind of erased a lot of NWO from my memory. Outside of um, this, kind of reminded me that Hulk Hulk Hogan fights Rock based off kind of like this is jumping off point for that. Yeah. Um. Outside of that, I mean, I kind of raced a lot of NWO. Uh, this kind of <laughs> brought back the memory of the whole Steph pregnancy thing. That was kind of kind of something <laughs> something I forgot about. That was that was fun to revisit. Yeah, 
so like my where I was as a wrestling fan at this point, I was like still watching every week, like still cared about it, but was starting to turn a little bit. Just because, and I know I've mentioned this before, it was like the the inclusion of like the WCW talent starting to come over. I was like, these like these are not my guys. I hate these guys. I don't want to watch these guys. And like the more of that started to happen, the less interested I became. And then when the show started to be centered a little bit more around guys like Cena, Orton, Batista, I started like thinking. These guys are not as good as my guys from five, six, seven years ago. Like, these guys aren't as good as Austin. These guys aren't as good as The Rock. These guys aren't as good as as HBK. So I just sort of was resentful. And then within, I, I want to say 2006 or 2007 is when I officially just... You jumped back on. Well, I stopped completely. And I didn't jump back on until 2013 when I got the network. So essentially you were hitching because you weren't even on. You just... Grab the back and kind yes. of hitch the ride, if you will. Yeah, but so at this point, I was kind of dwindling a little bit. I was not as interested as I had been the previous 10 years, but I was still paying attention. And to a degree, I still cared. Um, and speaking of, like, still caring, uh, my, my first impression is, and I think I might have said this when we reviewed uh, The Raw from January 4th of 99, and I probably said this, whatever pay-per-view it was, we talked at Rumble 2000, was it? Yes. We did a few weeks ago. How much different it is to, like, tune into a show and get the feeling that the people there actually care what's happening. And you felt that immediately in this show. So the, the one thing I kind of wanted to say, and this is the, probably the only point, one of two points I'll probably have about weekly product this week, is... You know, thinking about the idea of the fans caring or, like, the viewer caring what they're watching. I don't know if either of you saw any of AEW this week. I caught the end, if that's what you're referring to. So what I'm referring to, yeah, is the, the 10 lashes uh, that MJF delivered to Cody. And I watched that. Now, I have not been watching... I have not really cared much about anything going on currently in wrestling. The OC has been taking up a lot of your time, too. The OC, yes, has been actually (laughs) taking up a lot of my time. Uh, But I saw on social media that this happened last night. I forgot that this, like, was taking place and didn't realize it hadn't happened yet. So I made it a point to watch it, and I thought this was easily... I know we're not far into 2020, but I thought easily the best segment of 2020 so far. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, I was going to bring it up. You felt that the people in the audience cared what was happening mm-hmm. to Cody. Like, you felt that the people in the company, like the, the locker room, cared about what was happening. Uh, you felt like there's a story you're watching unfold here. Like, when it ended, you felt truly like MJF and uh, what's his name? The other guy, Wall, something with a W. Whatever it is. I guess it doesn't <laughs> really there. matter. But well, you felt like they Willie. were... We'll call him Willie for yeah. arguments. <laughs> you felt like they were villains. And you don't. I don't feel that often when I watch wrestling anymore, where I see someone as a villain. But they felt like villains to me. And I was like, wow, this was really good. 
Now, I know they can't do that exact type of segment every week, but it's like, do you really... Is it really that hard to put, like, some level of effort in there, like, to tell a story, to take us on some type of journey, to give us a hero and a villain, make us feel sympathy for someone? Like, and I thought everyone involved was, like, performed amazingly. I thought Cody did a great job following in his daddy's footsteps of, you know, being the sympathetic baby face. I thought MJF did a great job of getting himself over as a villain. I thought, like, Brandy's performance was great. Like, yes, coming I'll out bring at that the up. End. I thought Arn coming out was great. Like, all the, all the people, like, uh, Dustin coming out, like, the, the Young Bucks coming out, like, everyone supporting him. I thought commentary was great. You know I hate Tony Schiavone, but, like, even just listening to the commentary, it felt like – it didn't feel like I was watching something scripted. I was feeling – I was actually feeling – You're in the, the moment? Of the moment, yeah. So – Alo, since you watched it and you said it's the only thing you saw, like worth your 13 minutes and 45 seconds or whatever. Yeah, definitely. I think the the key part of this was basically like some of the roster coming out to the stage, and then you had you had Dustin coming down to the ring, the Bucks, and the whole Brandy thing. Because remember, Brandy's not Brandy's branched away from Cody, so Brandy's doing her own thing now, and she kind of in a way broke character as well to check on Cody. So I thought that the surroundings of that whole entire excitement actually suited it perfect because when i first heard this was going to happen i didn't really know what to expect and you know cody's uh old school wrestling and wcw mark and this is where they kind of got it from so i didn't really know know what to expect but i thought this was like executed really well then the whole the fact that members of the roster and the family and the uh the elite were out there i thought it was actually delivered perfectly yeah joseph so i know i have not recommended anything i know you guys over the course of the last year and a half that i have not really been paying attention there's a book i have a book of things that we recommended (laughs) to you you guys you have like two of them checked off yeah you guys have recommended things that i I should watch that you think was like worth it to watch this is the first one i'm going to recommend to you definitely worth going on youtube typing in uh like cody rhodes mjf and just watch this segment because it was really good and like it will make you care about it'll make you want to know like what happens with these two where it goes from yeah like whether you've been paying attention or not like it'll make you care where it goes next so something that i felt like we should mention there's another thing i'll mention later if i don't forget and we is it what is it something i'm is it it's uh, what it's probably it's what you think it is okay okay (laughs) so, yeah. If, I'm, if I'm not even going to bring it up because I, I want you to just go off about yeah, it. Yeah. So, yeah, I was going to say, if I don't forget, because we have a Sixers-Bucks game going on over my right shoulder right now that I know is going to have my attention. Kind of capturing your attention. I'm already having trouble concentrating. <laughs> uh, but, so, No Way Out 2002. Alo, do we have a rating system in place for pay-per-views on the Matt Madness Wrestling Podcast? Yes, we do. And it's presented to you by the wonderful Howard Finkel. Come on, Howard. He was a part of the show. The following podcast has a rating system in place. If it's a horrible show, it gets a jobber. If the show falls somewhere in the middle, it gets a slobber knocker. Hey. If it is an amazing show, it gets the rating of ratings, it will get a show stopper! New, new, new world, new world order. 
<laughs> All right. So, Joseph, you want to go first with your rating? For I defer. I defer. Okay. Then I'll go first. I'm going to give it... I, I actually think I'm going to give it a showstopper. Really? Because I... I, I got to hear this. I, I mean, the, the main reason, and, like, I wish I could say more than the first thing I'm going to say... But, like, I just had fun watching it. And it's not often that I, like, sit down and put on a, a Vince McMahon product these days and, like, just have fun for two and a half to three hours. And I had fun. I had fun kind of, like, remembering some of this stuff. Like Joey mentioned, some stuff that you may have forgotten that you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot that was happening at this time. I thought it was, like, a fun walk down memory lane. I thought it was a fun show. I think it's fun because that, like... Whether anyone really cared for a long time or not, uh, I, it was a big deal that those guys, like, were there. You know, like, I think we talk a lot about them changing the face of wrestling when they those guys went to WCW and started the NWO. But I don't think we talk a lot about, like, how much they really fucked over WWF when they left and did the amazing stuff they did for that, like, first year in WCW. Like... They were a reason why WWF almost went out of business. Yeah. So it's like the fact that those guys like had that history with WWF came and full then circle. came back. Where and and the idea that Vince is saying like I want to to kill my creation and like these are the guys who really did almost kill it and I'm gonna bring them in now you know six years later to kill it and all like the the baggage that they came with at that time like. In the industry and like the fact that fans knew a lot of it, uh, like I think it, it was just kind of interesting to watch. Like with this much distance between it, like we're almost twenty years later, and like knowing a lot of the things we know now, I think it's just it was like really interesting to to see that happen, and like just some of my my all time favorites in prominent positions on the show it was fun to watch. So I'm giving it a showstopper because. As I was watching it, just about everything that happened on the show, like, to some degree, like, mattered in some way, shape, or form. Like, there was a narrative happening with all of those people. Whereas now, people are just, like, coming out and having a match and cutting a promo that doesn't really mean anything. And then the next week, they do it all over again. And it doesn't really... I can't even say it doesn't go from point A to point B. Like, there is no point A or point B. It's just stuff happening. Yeah. So, that's why I'm giving it a showstopper. Because I really had a lot of fun. I do think there is at least some level of historical wrestling significance to it. And it was just, like, kind of a memorable time that I maybe forgot how memorable it was. Because I think a lot of my memories were from, like, the, the three years prior. Like, the late 90s to 2000 are probably, like, my peak, like, passion and interest in WWF. So, I think I might have forgotten, like, that it was still actually really good at this time. Yeah, something something worthwhile. So, Alo, your rating? Uh, I'm going to give it a slobber knocker. A, a young Alo was 10 years old at the time. <laughs> Uh, uh, slamming it down with some slammers (laughs) yes uh during this during the build to this show one of the very few times a young ala was on punishment oh yeah a a teacher lied on me 
a white teacher. Well, a he white lied on you. <laughs> Why's it got to be a white teacher? Because she was. <laughs> she, was. Yeah. she was. <laughs> so my, my, my first touch, my first touch of a uh, racist racism in school. Uh, so it, it, short, long story short, she said I didn't do, she said I didn't do any, I didn't do the work. I did the work. She said she, I was yelling at her and she felt threatened. The principal comes. He says, what did he do? <laughs> Cause all the work's done. So anyway, can you uh, blame her for being threatened though? I mean, did, did you look at yourself recently? You're a pretty threatening <laughs> guy. Yourself recently. I, I didn't have these beard, this bearded muscles back. So in the day. I, I find that hard to believe. I wonder if Joey <laughs> sees 10 year old Alo as like a jacked, like you're in this exact body. Yeah, I do with a beard and, uh, <laughs> but just a little smaller in, in stature. He's shorter, but, but all still, the other, yeah, all the other features are the same. Deep voice too. Yeah, so so going into this show, uh, I, I remember that vaguely. So that was one thing I remembered about watching this. <laughs> also, I remember when Vince first did that NWO promo. Now, granted, I knew that Hogan, Hall, and Nash were a part of the NWO, but as we ma- joked about over the years, everybody was in the NWO. So like when I hear Vince saying the NWO, I'm you thinking, were thinking oh, my- of like the. 78-man roster. Yeah, so I'm thinking, oh, my God, Scott Steiner's finally coming. Uh, Perfect's coming. Macho <laughs> Man's coming back. So I'm thinking, so, like, I remember watching this. I'm like, just these three? That's it? Where's everybody else? Because I, I didn't know at the time. But I, me and Joey, we talked about this a lot on uh, the recent shows we've done. We all, we even recommended a match from the show. I don't think there's anything I'll recommend match-wise from this show. But I did think it was a, a really solid show. Uh, and we all review on WrestleMania 18, so that's for the listeners. And knowing what happens then, I think there was a lot of progression and stories from that show, from this show, to get there. And that's one thing I can really appreciate because the the clear storytelling that they were actually showing, like a ma- like the match, I think the match I would recommend kind of the most, and we'll re- we'll revisit this when we re- review WrestleMania 18, is The Rock and The Undertaker. Because Undertaker faces Ric Flair in that match, and then Vince and Flair are co-owners of the company, so that kind of progressed two storylines at once. So if, any, if there's a match I would recommend watching, I would, I would say it's that one. But I just give it a slobber. Like, I thought it was a solid show, and I thought the progression from No Way Out to WrestleMania, since we know what happens, was really good. Yeah, like it, like I said, it was like consequential. Like that this happened. So Joseph, how about your rating? Um, I just went with a slobber knocker and. Um... I mean, the reason I couldn't go any further than that is that they they kind they kind of overuse the uh, knocking out of the ref or interference with the ref <laughs> element of the, the show, and the NWO was just kind of for the pay per view. I mean, it was just selling their name essentially. They didn't have a lot of elements in the pay per view outside of the end. Um, for those two reasons, I couldn't go too much further. But it was all a fun trip down memory lane. A lot of like quality wrestlers that you like. You're kind of excited to see what they what they do. Um, Watching it was fun. It was fun. It was fun. I thought the Stone Cold match was pretty good. Uh, I did enjoy the Triple H, like the elements of the Triple H, because we talked about it in the opening, the storyline, and just Kurt Angle is always fun. Mm-hmm. Um, those kind of things. They were they were really really entertaining to watch. Like you said, it's just it was good. It was it was good storytelling. Yeah, uh, better light years better than anything we're seeing now. So the show opens like right off the bat. The entrance of the NWO. Everyone. <laughs> I was waiting to see it. Gave it to you immediately. Uh, I loved commentary. I, I remember, <laughs> so like, good. 
Like Ric Flair drove Vince to do it. The, the idea of that <laughs> is, is so funny to me. Um, like I said, they're the three guys who like almost ended WWF, and it's like here they are back again. Like who would have ever thought we'd see these three back in in the ring. ring? Yeah, and where all of them now, as much as the NWO was arguably like the the most famous thing that the three of them did, like they all became something meaningful in WWF. Like Hulk Hogan, obviously Hulkamania in the eighties, like he was made. He had he was a star because of WWF. Like Hall and Nash were stars because of WWF. Yeah, they were they were that, created like, through the that WWF. New generation that they had in like the early to mid nineties. So it was like they were made by Vince. Then they left and almost crushed Vince and then like here they are back come back again. yeah like, playing it all they started i thought it's like it's just a really cool thing to see hulk hogan was nearly moved to tears uh <laughs> not in his in <laughs> nwo character in, in, in real life <laughs> so the the pop for the first hey yo i thought was great yes like that people were like waiting for it they got it loved every second of it um and the fact like the the fake like humble act that they were doing perfect <laughs> i i just thought like the three of them so i think it's brett always kind of talks shit on them for for doing the thing with like the the scared fingers like like you're not because you're not putting me over because you're acting like you're not really scared but i think like that that attitude that they had that like we're better than everyone played well yeah like them we all know how highly they thought of themselves we all know that one of the big issues WCW had was like none of them wanting to do anything they didn't want to do. And then them coming in here saying like, well, we're just happy to be here. I don't know what we did that's so bad. You know, and, and Hall, you might, you might be about to say what I'm going to say. So I want to hear if you're going to say what I'm about to say. It's like what this whole time with Kevin Nash. I just kept saying sportsmanship, try it. <laughs> you know what? I almost put that in my notes because that's what it reminded me of was his his character after he starts taking the uh, well, the estrogen pills oh, in the longest yard. Uh, both teams are trying. You very tried hard. really hard. <laughs> uh, at one point, and they kept referring to the boys, like the boys, yeah. the boys in the back. I loved how much they were using like wrestling jargon, which we know they would never use now. And at, at the one point when Hall is like, you know, we just want to, you know, have fun with the boys, maybe even have a, a few beers with the boys. And everybody's like, no, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So I, I really enjoyed that promo. I thought it was so funny uh, and so perfect for the three of them. Because obviously you know that they don't mean it. Obviously you know that this is not really how they feel. Obviously you know they're putting on an act. A face. Yeah, but they did a really good job with it. Um yeah, I thought it was excellent. An excellent start to the show. Like, couldn't have gone any more perfect, like, right out of the gate. Uh, then, first match we get. Well, Alo, did you have any thoughts on this promo other than what we've already talked about? Well, I thought they were presented really well during their entrance. And like you said about everybody, the crowd reacting to, like, Scott Hall's hey, yo, and Hogan kind of uh, getting emotional out there. Because we forget that this was their first time back in the WWF since they left. Yeah. Uh, Paul and Nash went 96 and Hogan 93. This is the first time they've been back. So this is really my, like, even though it's, a, even though they're, they're, it's a shtick for them, it's, 
it's still real because nobody's seen them in the company in in years. And so, none of them really wanted to leave. Like I think all of them would have rather stayed. Yeah. Which I think is another thing that that people might forget. Like like Kevin Nash basically told Vince they're offering me this much like what can you do? Make me stay. Put it on the table. And Scott Hall same thing like make me stay and and Hogan I feel I feel like even kind of makes it out like he was blindsided that Vince didn't want to keep him at that one point. Like he wanted to move on without Hogan. Uh, so as much as as I just talked about them almost crushing WWF, it's like none of them actually actively wanted to leave in the first place. So just made bad business decisions essentially. Yeah, like they now they all made out well financially by going. They to did. WCW, I'm just saying WWE but, made bad business decisions. Oh, yeah. That's all it worked out to be. Yeah. When you and, see what happened I mean, again, it worked out the end, end game, and this kind of moment was the second, essentially the second career Hulk Hogan, um, mm-hmm. second coming of Hulk Hogan with WWE. Yeah, we know his first first stint was really well, and since then he's been kind of interwoven in the tapestry of WWE, mm-hmm. barring a few incidents. That yeah, not yeah, not always, but he's been there a lot for the last, you know, what is it, eighteen years since he came back. How crazy is that? That him coming back to WWF was 18 years ago. Yeah. My God, that's nuts. How do you think I feel? I know. Well, I, was I was in the fifth grade. Yeah, I was 22 <laughs> when this pay-per-view happened. Now I'm 40 now. It's crazy. Uh, so we got tag team turmoil. Uh, I've never been like... Typically, I'm not a big fan of these types of matches. Joey, did this do anything for you? Just the... The oddity of the wrestling combos kind of kind of made it fun for me. I mean, you got the team charisma coming out first with <laughs> Lance Storm and then Captain Charisma himself. Mm-hmm. Um, Billy and Chuck, like that's just a weird, weird, <laughs> so weird couple. So good. Um, obviously, you have your core guys, the Dudleys, the Hardys. Again, coming back, what would they do? Three stints. Mm-hmm. Seems like this. Just yesterday, they're coming back to the Royal Rumble. Just the um, oddity of some of the teams was fun. Yeah. Now, do you guys think? Do you guys agree with me? Because this was a thought I had watching it. I don't really remember how big or how over Billy and Chuck were at this time. Uh, probably my feeling is not that much. Well, I was going to get to in that. pigtails. How how much could he be over? But don't you think they would have killed current day? Oh yes, definitely. Oh, <laughs> if they were repackaged, if they were packaged right, they would have been fine. But and I think if, if they trotted them out here like now, in this day they, and age, they'd be they'd be a gimmick. They would have been like oh, be loved. And I can't I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the hip hop hippo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the skull cat. You, you would oh, be remiss God, if so you didn't good. mention that. I but agree. I, I'm glad you brought up Billy and Chuck because they have some of them, like they they only lasted together until the end of the year until around maybe September or October, but they have some of the most iconic moments of 2002. Uh, they had they had a a, a pose down against Stacy Keebler and Tori Wilson mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for their ca- <laughs> for their for their calendar, which is fantastic. They had the commitment ceremony when Eric Bischoff was uh, the priest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, had, he had the mask on, so they were. Real, you know, of course, one of my favorites, Rico, with the, as the stylist, I thought it was yeah. amazing because he 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 fit with them so perfect. And this is where logic. This is where Young Alo discovered logic. They, they would use to have much logic because the APA win 
tag team turmoil. But the next episode on SmackDown, Billy and Chuck win the tag team titles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just wanted to have the APA win because they were over. Yeah. yeah, but the thing, and then the, even though APA won this match to get a tag team title shot, it still ended up being a fatal four way at WrestleMania for the tag team titles. <laughs> so they kind of ignore logic. I remember, it's like, I was like, huh? It was fun seeing Stacey Keebler again. Yeah, I don't yeah. know why George Clooney had to go and ruin her. <laughs> the other thing is like, it was fun just seeing the APA just come out and be the destroyers that they were. Yeah, because yeah, we talked about it on the Royal Rumble episode, and then. We, we had that whole discussion about are they over underrated and they didn't like they didn't have any five star matches but they weren't supposed to they were just there to beat your ass and that's what they did they made short work of Billy and Chuck and I have a whole newfound appreciation for the APA yeah I feel like I just watched a segment where the APA kind of just started where Devon came in and asked for the protection am Did I wrong really? am I wrong Did we watch something? I don't know so the one thing but, we saw was them kidnapping um who oh, Midian. 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 We saw that. Yeah, yeah. That was before that. they become the APA. They were, yeah. They were just the acolytes. Yeah, the acolytes. Um, but then we had an interview backstage. Uh, we had Richard Flair with a young, <laughs> frosted-tipped Michael Cole. Uh, <laughs> and, he, and then uh, Mark Calloway, you know, came <laughs> in and interrupted the interview and had some harsh words for, for Richard. Uh, I was not, clearly not a fan, as I've said many times, of this era of of the Undertaker. This is pr- this era of him is probably why, like, I don't care about him now. Yeah, <laughs> kind of ruined like, everything. Like really? When, yeah. When like, I, and I did. I don't think I really thought that that was why. But I was like, everyone else gets so excited to see this guy. Like, they still get excited when the music hits or the entrance, and I just don't care. And I think because to me. Once he just became like a white trash motorcycle <laughs> guy, I just didn't care about him anymore. He was a badass. Yeah, I did not, it's not me. We Bad radio edit. To, to Kid Rock and Limp Biscuit. I was oh like, yeah, he came out to Limp Biscuit in this show. Like I, this guy as a shoot, this guy is not my kind of guy, and it was just like <laughs> done for me. It's kind of crazy how we view these things in segments. Like we look back, we remember it for the most part, but like not too long ago. The way we viewed it, Rock's in the corporation. He's part of Vince McMahon's cronies. Now you have Undertaker and Kurt Angle part of Vince McMahon's like mm-hmm. team. It's kind of the juxtaposition of it's fun. It is, and, yeah. And things can change very quickly. Obviously, in, in wrestling, wrestling is known for how quickly things can change. Um, Goldust and RVD. I'll never, it never gets old just like the fact that he was called the bizarre one. (laughs) Like just the word bizarre is so funny to me. And of all the things he was like, I don't know if bizarre is really the, the exact right description. I think it's always funny that that's the word that they chose for gold dust. But I thought the match was good. I thought the match was fun. It's two guys that I really like a lot. Um, And this was another thought I had, like, if you think about it, this was the second match on the show. Wasn't really that big of a deal. I know RVD ended up, uh, I think, becoming an intercontinental, ch- intercontinental champion like right after this, soon after this. But this was not like a huge match. This was not a huge deal on the show. But if you think about it right now, how many guys on the roster right now are as memorable as 
RVD and Goldust. Like, right now, 18 years ago, we all have memories of RVD. We all have memories of Goldust. And, you know, Alo, you as a 10-year-old, like, remember things now, 18 years later, about these two guys. Joey, me and you were in our early 20s. And now I'm 40. You're going to be there. Bat, bat. <laughs> not you're not there yet okay we'll go there <laughs> yeah um sexy man never reveals his right. age we we have memories of these guys like from back then that we remember of course. now how many guys on the roster right now are as memorable as these two guys are none because like, you said you said 18 years ago with gold we can go back another seven mm-hmm. another seven years to 1995 with Marlena mm-hmm. and stuff like that we have so much to go off of with gold dust and I don't think anybody on the current WWE roster really well let's let's say young WWE roster yeah. can go off of. yeah there's a lot there's a lot there to kind of remember I mean how are you ever gonna forget shattered dreams and the gold dust element I mean it's still around technically, but mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you're not gonna forget about it. And RVD was just obsessed with weed. He was on high times. He was on high times and everything like that. But he was he was entertaining, and I was a fan of him until I ran into him in his Daisy Dukes in in California, and he kind of he kind of blew me off. Walking down the street in his Daisy Dukes, he was too cool for me. But you remember him? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I remember him vaguely. Yeah, it, it, he's living. He living. He live. He's living Eric's dream right now with two girlfriends in yeah. a relationship. Doesn't but surprise one, me. But one one thing you said about Billy and Chuck about how much they will be lo- be beloved today. Imagine how beloved Goldust will be today, especially if he did have your close personal friend Terry Reynolds with them, yeah. with with those with those vignettes and like even the whole Razor Ramon thing when. When Razor Ramon, he was he, like he was not he, the complete opposite from Goldust, and didn't even want to mirror him and stuff like that. So Goldust would definitely, I think, he'll be transcendent today, and he he was he he was still that even in the mid late nineties. Yeah, it's yeah. just the character that's not really gonna get old, and no. I don't know why, but it's it just has staying power. So yeah, one, it was just so different from anything we, I shouldn't say different from anything we'd ever seen because we saw a milder version of it with uh, Adrian Adonis in the 80s. I don't know if you remember him. It wasn't quite the same as Goldust, but he was definitely like, had that like effeminate quality. prototype version of Goldust. Like, yeah, it like made people uncomfortable, you know, like it, it was kind of like a, like a, questioning of his sexuality type thing when obviously in the 80s it was much that'd be very edgy at that and then yeah uh, so it was different and not the same but like you had like a hint of a little bit of that type of a character but like obviously gold dust it was like nothing you had seen before and even now if if that debuted now yeah so joey just pulled up a picture of adrian adonis and it's very yeah. uh flamboyant <laughs> um but yeah, like that's how trailblazing Goldust was. And if it came out now, it would still be viewed as edgy. You know, so it it, it, it goes a long way that it, it's this far removed from when it started. And it still would seem like it was really pushing the envelope if it started today. But it started in the mid-90s. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and even his dedica- his dedication to the character, because I brought up, brought up a couple times about how Bruce Pritchard said that he... Dustin was so dedicated to the character that he wanted to get breast implants. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be a bit much. <laughs> yeah, but so just imagine what a Goldust would actually be today. Oh, it'd be crazy. Well, especially if it wasn't taking place under Vince McMahon. 
Um, it put a whole new spin on that uh, Cody versus Dustin match. I'll yeah. tell you that. If you had <laughs> it would have been a very different thing. <laughs> uh, we had the NWO backstage presenting Stone Cold Steve Austin with a six-pack, which, again, this was executed to perfection by everyone involved. Yeah, this is fun. Stone Cold really having no interest. Them <laughs> kind of kissing his ass. And almost for a second, you might believe... That he's like... He sold him on... You know, you can take it for later. He's like, oh. Yeah. He's like... You, you almost believe for a second that he's kind of charmed by it. And then he's, he's really not. He just uh, tosses it aside and... Yeah. Like, this is one of those things that I didn't quite remember. That they walked... Because him and Hall had the, the match at WrestleMania 18, correct? Yes. Um, so it's like, again, like, these are the seeds being planted for these two. Uh, and Stone Cold just blowing them off completely. The first one, really... Uh, in a string of people blowing them off all night. Not buying their um, earlier uh, gimmick, their plea for yeah. the boys in the back. And it's funny just knowing, like, especially Paul Nash and Austin, like how long they, those guys have like known each other. Mm-hmm. Like Hogan, to me, I really feel like is separate from those two. He's just like a different era, a different time. But those three were like in these regional promotions together through the 80s and, like, early 90s. They they overlapped, probably. I, I assume they overlapped in WCW. Maybe not, but they might have for a little bit. But, like, they definitely all knew each other, and it's kind of funny, like, how we didn't at the time associate them with each other at all. No. But, like, they all knew each so other they're like, well. night and day. And then right around that time, I don't know if it was at that time or right after... You know, Austin and, and Nash were in the longest yard together. Uh, so, yeah, it, it was really They played cool. on the same football team. They did. It was really cool <laughs> to see them backstage together, like these four legends of, of the industry. Um, trying to remember if there was anything, like, of note that happened during this, or really it was just Austin throwing the beer. Uh, well, what... The ironic thing was Hall was the one who handed him the right. beer. Right. <laughs> the one who shouldn't be drinking at all. Yes. But was dying to have some beers with the boys. <laughs> yes. Couldn't wait. He was trying to share this, those beers with the boys. And he was. He wasn't trying to drink all of Hogan them. Hogan said, let him pass. <laughs> uh, we had then Booker with Test. Booker T with Test uh, against Taz and Spike Dudley. Um this was like the maybe the one moment of the show when I kind of checked out. Like, I don't really even remember too much of this other than Taz uh, getting the submission. They were the tag team champs, right? Yep. Yes. Uh, and they lost it the next night, obviously, to, to Billy and Chuck. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Did, did this match stand out to you for any reason? It didn't, but because I remember... Growing up watching this, Booker T and Tess, they were already two-time tag team champions. And the story, on commentary, they were telling the story, and even when Taz and Spike became champions, of they're smaller than everybody else. Because they, they did beat the Dullies to win the tag team titles. Yeah, I think their combined weight was like 398 pounds. Yeah, the smallest yeah. tag team ever is what they called them. And the Hollies both were introduced as, you know, well over 400 pounds. <laughs> Allegedly. Individually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... So I did appreciate the story in this match, and you can actually—they actually played it off perfectly too, because Tess is seven feet tall. Booger T's not a small guy either. No, and all. yeah, and then the fact that they won, Taz ends up choking out Tess. I thought it was a good way to end the match. And like I said, 
they they would end up losing the titles on SmackDown to Billy and Chuck the next uh, few days later. For me, I always found myself pulling for Spike. I don't know. I don't know why. Maybe, maybe I can relate to him a little. I was bit. gonna say I have an idea why. I always pull for Spike. <laughs> um, there's that end of it, and I always thought Taz, uh, WWE Taz, was underutilized. Thought he yeah. had more to offer. I mean, maybe it was a size thing. Maybe it was hard to work with, but he was just always underutilized in my mind. Well, Alo yeah. likes to say that he like peaked his first night there. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. That was it. It was all downhill from there. <laughs> yeah, because this this will be the last year Taz will be an in ring performer in the WWF as well. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because okay, he was part he was part time in most of the time, but then he came out to be Sp- Spike's partner, and I believe this will be the last year that he's actually like an in ring competitor. Interesting, and they they would be tag team champs for another twenty four hours after this night. Uh, we cut to The Rock with Michael Cole in the back, and I've said this before, but this really was the best role for Michael Cole to be in because <laughs> I feel like. <coughs> With, with someone like JR or Jerry the King Lawler, you have a certain level of, like, respect for those guys. For, like, the time they've been in the business, like, all the matches they've called. Like, Lawler, obviously, all of his time. And they had Elvis the to the match. Whereas Michael Cole, I feel like no one really looks at him, like, with any respect. No one really, like, reveres him in any way as this great announcer. You can't believe those frosty tips are revered. No, but you see him in this role with actual wrestlers and he's always getting kind of trampled over and it's like that's it fits kind of, yeah like he should be you buy him just getting walked all over by these guys and getting played by these guys all the time but the rock who i think to the kind of average fan is probably remembered for being like funny more than anything uh like for his insults and his like wit and all that yeah, stuff he was very quick-witted but i feel like this gets overlooked where this was more of a serious promo and I thought it was so good. Like the idea of him being a champion and like wanting to be a champion and believing he's the best. And like that came across in this promo and it's like, he's one of those guys you looked at and it's like, yes, like I believe you are like it, it amongst the WWF. Like you are like the Dallas Cowboys. You are the L.A. Lakers, like you are the best of the best. Yes, like you believe that he's that. The Ralph Macchio. Yeah, the, you are. Yeah, you are Daniel Larusso. <laughs> uh, yeah, like you believe that that's what he is. So, Alo, your thoughts on like the kind of more serious Rock than what we normally get or normally associate with him? Yeah, the thing with the Rock is he could pull it off both ways. Like even when he's serious, he'll make a, a joke, right, or whatever. But it it actually does work and. During the Super Bowl, uh, when the SmackDown commercials came on, and one of the people I was with, he said, oh, it's just not the same anymore. I was like, even though I do a wrestling podcast, I'm like, yeah, it's not. And I'm thinking to myself, it's just the characters. Because if you ask anybody about wrestling back in the day, they just automatically bring up Rock and Austin. It's never anything else. It never really anybody else they actually bring up. And my argument with them is, well, the wrestling is better, but... For them, growing up, it's just about the entertainment. Because, you know, so you know the whole cliche of when we're young, everything is good. When we watch older, it's bad or whatever. And we talked about on this show numerous times about how everything in the Attitude Era doesn't hold up over time. Or, like, I can't believe I like this. But The Rock and Austin were the ones that you could always resonate towards. Because there's not many things they actually did that weren't bad. And they were definitely both 
the most entertaining people on the roster. Yeah, uh, and I think it's it's kind of like the way the NBA wants there to be super teams. Like they're people, still on that. Well, people watch when you have the big three in Miami, or you have Shaq and Kobe in LA, or. Like now, you have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard on one team in L.A., and you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis on another team in L.A. People tune in, like, for that. But they were not tuning in when you were having, like, the New Jersey Nets going to the finals and the Detroit Pistons going to the finals. Like, I think anything is better when you have, like, these superstars in their field that people are going to want to watch. And when you go a level down, people are not going to care as much. So I think that's where we're at with WWE, where like they don't have, they don't have that element right now, and it's why it has kind of dried up to a degree, and why there's not. They haven't really. De- they haven't took time to develop any of that. Oh no, I'm not. I mean, you look at Rock and Stone Cold; they weren't overnight sensations. They're there's there's there's. Just a build up there. There is there's a past. There's them coming up, and we don't see enough time or interest put into some of these people today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there's not the effort put into it. Yeah, and Patrick, you brought that comparison about the NBA. I'm one of the few people that enjoyed those New Jersey Net Detroit Pistons Spurs final series, even though the scores were like under 80 points a lot of the times. I thoroughly enjoyed all those series. Yeah, I'm I'm one of the select few. Well, yeah, like I've been an avid NBA fan my whole life. My interest has never really dwindled in it. But I, I do think like the, the average viewer, like you said, not everyone was into it. I think like the diehards were into it. But I think by and large, the average fan was tuning in a lot more to watch Kobe and Shaq in June than they were to see like Chauncey Billups and Rip Hamilton <laughs> in June. You know, like it's just a very different thing. If Billy and Chuck were an NBA franchise, who would they be? <laughs> like one that would. Would you compare them to currently as an NBA franchise? You know, who I think it would Billy it might and Chuck. Be? I would say like the early two thousands Sacramento Kings. Who <laughs> I buy that. Who would be like they would fit so well into what today's NBA is with like the the shooting and the passing. They were like a very finesse team at a time when the NBA was still very physical. So yeah, I think that they would be they would be like that that era Sacramento Kings would be a lot more appreciated now than they were then. <laughs> out of their element. <laughs> so you you co-sign that Halo? Oh yeah, I believe that. I, I, stamped, I can see he uh, stamped it. I, I can see Chuck Palobo pulling off a Hito Torkaloo. <laughs> yeah, like that Paige Stojakovic, like the, those guys I see like would fit in so well in this era of the NBA, better than they did back then. Would be more appreciated now than they were back then. Um, we had the Edge, or we had Edge and William Regal. Brass knuckle match? A brass knuckle on a pole match. A freaking pole. Yeah. Did not remember that we had a pole match involved <laughs> in this show. And um, a brass knuckle pole match. Yes. That. For the Intercontinental Championship. Is, is there anyone in the history of wrestling who can compete with William Regal in the use of his face? No. <laughs> Joseph, is there anyone no. who makes better faces than William Regal? Me on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just think, 
like he just makes me laugh every time. Yeah, every time he, I watch him, I can't he, help but enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, right when he came out the curtain, he just hit the. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so good. It is. I, I think he's like, and it's funny that he like lists among his influences like like Monty Python and like all these British comedic acts. Like you, and when you know that, it's like, oh yeah, like this yeah, makes I guess sense. It. Yeah, like the, that's why the man's man thing worked so well because he was just so good at like performing it, and just any time he that that like frown he has is so funny to me that like sourpuss face yeah, always even, gets me. Yeah, even when uh, the ref stopped, the ref stopped him uh, on the on the ramp and was like, "I gotta check your tights" because that's mm-hmm. when this is the era where he was hiding the brass knuckles. Yeah. He looked the way he the way he looked so appalled. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, the ref didn't check well enough. No, he did not. <laughs> no. Uh, and Edge, this was Edge, like... Still young Edge. Young, uh, yeah, obviously much younger than he is when he showed up a couple weeks ago. Much younger than he is now. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. This was before he kind of became what he became, but he was still, like, a big deal. He was still a fan favorite. Uh, How long was it, Alo, before he became, like, the rated-R superstar version of Edge? Uh, he wouldn't really become the radar superstar until uh, late 2005, early 2006. So he's still three or four years out. Yeah. Yeah, but but he was probably at the peak of his popularity here. Yeah, and you could tell. And even like commentary even made mention of how popular he was at the time. So it was clearly a younger guy um, that they were trying to make sure everyone knew was a big deal. And it obviously worked because he became like one of the most revered guys. How long? Fact. How long was this from his uh, the injury that kind of put him out? Which which injury? Edge, the one that put him out pretty much till now. Oh well, that happened what eight nine years later. Yeah, I want to say that was like twenty. It was when I wasn't watching, so I don't know twenty eleven. Yeah, twenty ten. Twenty eleven sounds right, but. Yeah, because I, I think he had an earlier neck injury the next year, and he would miss almost a year of time. I'm not sure if that was a, 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 I th- I believe it was his neck, because at No Way Out 03, the year later, he was supposed to be in a six-man tag, but they played an angle where he was attacked before the match to write him off a of TV. And you wouldn't, really, you wouldn't see him again until the next year when he would get, be drafted to Raw. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this was... Uh, so. We, who do we say the next Intercontinental Champion was? RVD. RVD, that's right. Um, Angle with Lillian Garcia backstage. Always fun to listen to Kurt Angle talk. Yeah, Kurt Angle, again, we talk rock and Austin. You got to throw Angle in there, too, for what he did when he was there. He was great. Right. Like, he didn't reach those levels of, like, mainstream superstardom. But he was every bit as fun and entertaining. Fun, entertaining, and pro- and the, obviously the best natural wrestler. Yeah, unbelievable, like, physical talent. And just so good at, like, comedy. So good at being, like, a sore loser. So, like, every really any personality he had to take on. He was excellent at getting it across. I thought this interview with Lillian Garcia was no exception. Uh, they made mention of Stephanie being the special guest referee. Uh, and I think she might have asked, like, do you think this gives you an advantage? And I think his answer was like, no, I think Steph is going to, you know, be completely <laughs> fair, call it right down the middle. 
It was fun watching the recap uh, when they do before the lead into the match mm-hmm. about the whole storyline where where it kind of started to where it ended. I definitely enjoyed that part of it. Oh yeah, um, Kurt Angle was was great. Uh, we had Mark Calloway versus The Rock. So Alo, I know you mentioned that this was the one match you really would recommend. I think you said <clears throat> in this show. So what were your thoughts on on this match? If you watch the video package, you'll see how kind of there was a lot of heat in this match. The Rock would cost the Undertaker the hardcore title to Maven a few yeah. weeks prior on episode of SmackDown. Maven. So they brought like that. There's a name I he, think we talk about in a while. We'll get the Maven. The first tough enough winner. <laughs> we'll get the Maven one day. Uh, but yeah, they, in the video package, it showed that this feud was like really physical. It had a lot of heat towards it, even the the fight outside on the, on the limousine and I thought the match played to that as well because the match was all over the place. It was all it went into the crowd, uh, the low blows and the physicality. The match was perfect. And like I said at the top of the show, with the inclusion of Ric Flair, who would face the Undertaker at WrestleMania, even early in the night when no, those who had the interaction in Flair's promo, and then when Vince is all for the is all is all for the Undertaker, he's trying to screw the Rock, and then Flair ends up costing the Undertaker the match in the end. I thought it was perfect storytelling. And like I said, we all already know what happens at WrestleMania 18. So it all kind of – this this was a stopgap to get there, but this was a good piece of the story that they actually told yeah, going into WrestleMania. Yeah, puts everything in motion, kind of. And yeah, Vince and Flair getting involved. is like obviously they have their own feud going on, like enough of a feud that Vince brings in the NWO. He had to do it. It was desperate times. Yeah, so it was fun to see them both get involved in this, like – Showed you that, like, the stakes involved in this. Ooh, steak. And Vince, you know, getting dropped. Always funny to see Vince get dropped. <laughs> like, never got never got old to see that. And, yeah, I thought the, the perfect way for, for Ric Flair, well, Richard, to uh, to get involved and, and create well, he, a He got involved to try and keep uh, Undertaker from using that pipe, which took him about 20 minutes to get off his bike. <laughs> Oh, yeah, drove that motorcycle down to the ring. Uh, I hated that so much. <laughs> Same. And that Am I, I'm, I'm the one who liked song. it. Coming down the yeah. Limp Biscuit. It's, it's just a thing that, I, that I've always had. So I almost said at the beginning of the show when you mentioned your first, uh, your first brush with racism at school. <laughs> uh, I was going to do some commentary on it, but I chose not to because that's not what this podcast is about. Oh, jeez. And then I was just thinking, I wish Prep was here to call me a social justice warrior. (laughs) Um, But I've just always had a thing for, like, that, like, archetype of the, like, southern redneck, like, white trash. Like, not, not my thing. You know, I don't... I don't like it when it's in Texas. I don't like it when it's in Alabama. I don't like it when it's in Mississippi. I don't like it when it's at 2300 Arena. Not How about Sexyville? Uh, if, if I could tolerate it anywhere, it would be Sexyville. But we don't have it at Sexyville. I was going to say, those guys, would not, thought. those guys know not to even set foot in Sexyville. They They're do. not sexy enough. They're not wanted. No. Not wanted, not allowed, uh, forbidden from the premises. Sexy is a mind state as well. <laughs> it is. Um... I did think this match was fun. I did think it was good. The one thing I can never take away from Undertaker, while well, I don't really have any type of like emotional investment in him at this point. I mean, the guy was like obviously, arguably the most iconic character that anyone's ever had in wrestling. Um, and for a guy his size, just an unbelievable like in-ring talent. 
Like the things he could do, no one his size should be able to do. Like you see him do this, the suicide dive over the rope and walking the ropes and like a lot of the stuff he did, nobody should be able to do the the, the diving clothesline he does. Like he did so many his things. vintage move. Yeah, he did so many things that guys his size shouldn't be able to do. So, especially like in his prime, like early '90s through early 2000s, like that 10 year period. Like, he was a lot of fun to watch. And even, honestly, he probably had, like, another seven or eight good years after this. For sure. Like, if, if nothing else, like, the, the two classics with HBK at WrestleMania, you know, same thing with, with Triple H. I don't think those matches, to me anyway, hold up the same, but still really good. Uh, so, yeah, fun to watch. And, and I think The Rock, unfortunately, we got to see him do something that's not a sharpshooter again in this match. He did do the sharpshooter. That's what it's I mean. Not a sharpshooter. That's not a sharpshooter. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's anything but a sharpshooter. We did see it. Other than that, like, I think he probably gets overlooked for, like, being good in the ring as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a great match, a fun match to go back and watch. And this probably would be the one that I would. Uh, this or the main event would probably be the two that I, that I would say would be worth worth watching. Um, Mr. Perfect at WWF New York City. WWF New York City, a short-lived venture. Yeah. Uh, Kurt Hennig doing some excellent work. I think I didn't quite realize how much he like his son looks like him. Oh, yeah, he really does. Like, I don't know why. I never really thought it, but then I saw this, and I was like, you know what he does? He really does look, look like a lot him. like him. I don't, know, I don't know what made me see it, but... He definitely looks more like him than I thought. And and Mr. Perfect, great. Although, clearly... I'd be a little worried my son doesn't look like me. Yeah. That's, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> clearly, uh... I have a picture book, a mugshot book. Clearly, this was not Mr. Perfect's best days as Mr. Perfect. Oh, no. It did, it did not... It was a it, rehash. It hit a little different. Yeah, that, I think that was the most, most he talked since he was came back that second stint. Yeah, and it just was not quite the same as like what I remembered. Like, his glory days as Mr. Perfect. When he'd be in the bowling alley getting the strikes every time, yeah. or he'd be out there hitting every shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not the same. On the golf course, making, making everything. Like 100 Just always five. winning. The basketball shot's my favorite. Oh, yeah. Well, him him throwing like an 80-yard pass to himself, I think is great. I still, to this day, get rid of my gum if I'm chewing it outside. <laughs> same Mist, way. Like Mr. Perfect. Spit it out and slap oh, it. Oh, yeah. Yep. All the time. <laughs> that's, all, that's the only way to chew gum, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Even the way he chewed it was part perfect. Of it. I get, I get a little anxious that I'm going to miss it because I'm, I'm not Mr. Perfect, but mm-hmm. I have a good average. Yeah, <laughs> better than average, I would guess. Uh, Angle versus Triple H for the number one contender contendership for WrestleMania. Stephanie McMahon as the special guest referee. So, Alo, as the uh, avid Triple H fan that you are, give me your thoughts on, on this. Where you were then and what you think of it now. Uh... I thought the match was okay. It was more story driven than I think because I, I, Stephanie getting taken out right away was real, I thought it was interesting because I haven't seen this match in a long time, and I kind of felt that this match was going through the motions of waiting on Stephanie a lot of the t- a lot of the time. Uh, the fact that she's cheering on Kurt during the entrance <laughs> I thought was great, and, and uh, that Triple H like thought it was so funny when she got knocked. Yes, yeah, he was happy when she left, <laughs> and I did. I did enjoy her telling Howard that she's just Stephanie McMahon now. It's not Stephanie yeah. McMahon. 
I wish she would go back to that right now on TV. But but I thought the match was mainly story driven. I thought it, it was a lot reliant on Stephanie, and I I, just thought, I thought the story was perfect. I didn't think there was anything really noteworthy other than the story that was in this match. And we all know the whole WWE normal thing. You, you lose it, but you still get it back. And mm-hmm. Triple H would end up getting this, his title shot, title shot back a few weeks later on Raw. But I did enjoy the match. Like I said, it's more story-driven than wrestling-driven. But it was all another stop, another whole stopgap in the story because this led to Stephanie aligning with Jericho for that short period of time as well. So I did enjoy this whole story and the match. Uh so obviously Triple H now is looked at as like the best villain from his time period. Like I think that's how he's generally viewed uh, in wrestling circles. But he was like a top babyface at this time. Is this kind of the last time he was that? The top, uh, as a top babyface, I would say because you know my stance on Triple H. When people say he's overrated, I would not disagree. If we did an overrated list, he'd probably be my number one. Uh, but uh, yeah, because we talked. I also talked about everybody. Like for example, Rock and Austin, their peak was only maybe what four or five years each c- combined. Triple H w- was the one of those three that didn't leave. So a lot of Triple H's reigns, I just felt on are necessary because he's. And you you said this too that he's stuck in that bubble of wrestling when Austin mm-hmm. and Rock got out. So a lot of stuff with Triple H has he done good. Like, after this, he will be the, a face until SummerSlam when he will face Shawn Michaels, and then he will be a heel until 2005. And he would actually, re, he would, uh, well, 2006, he would bring back DX with Shawn, and then he actually got hurt again. He was a baby face for, what, maybe four or five years after that, still consistently. But I don't think that he was more over at any point of his career other than after he made his return. From the from the torn uh, what the torn quad injury? Yeah, eight even, months on the shelf. Yeah, yeah, yeah even, even yeah, even like his DX stuff. I was thinking he's still more over here, especially that Garden return. That's one of my favorite moments. Just watching his entrance in the crowd cheering, and then his reaction to him, I thought it was always great. But I think this was like his peak in popularity. Yeah, that that's kind of how I felt watching it. Like it's almost like you're like, oh yeah, there was a time when he was like this too and like i feel like a he's lot done of a lot kind of forget yeah that he was anything other than just like the main villain for yeah so the dirty long. player mm-hmm. the the yeah. game uh yeah not like the most memorable match but a memorable story joey any thoughts you had from angle and triple a well like i said i really played for me i mean not just because of the wrestling but uh the story element like alo said really tied in and had me interested to see where it was going did Triple H lose his number one contendership? Um, just a, just an emotional roller coaster, kind of. When you know you see Stephanie get knocked out, she's out. Another ref comes in. What's going to happen? She comes back out. Um, it was fun from that from that standpoint to watch. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, yeah. chair shot does it in. Yeah, it's ultimately what did it. Like Alo said, he ended up getting his number one contendership anyway. Ended up winning the undisputed title from Jericho, I believe, at WrestleMania that year. Um, but on that night, you know, people were upset that that he got screwed out of his his opportunity. 
we got The Rock backstage with the NWO now, and The Rock doing some high-level trolling of the NWO. <laughs> I kind of wish now that I would have written some of it down, because uh, I, I think I watched it on Monday last, or Sunday. I actually posted on the Matt, Matt, Matt Madness Instagram. Yeah, it was good. He came in, uh, they came in, they were in kind of talking to The Rock, mm-hmm. and said, oh, it's The Rock. Hulk Hogan kind of asked, he's like, can I get a picture? It's for my son. He said, it's for your son. He put out an old school mm-hmm. wind-up camera. Yeah. <laughs> they posed with The Rock, took the picture. After he snapped the picture, Hogan says something snarky, like, not as big as I thought or right. something like that. He's like, oh, it's for your son. Kind of just went at him. He's like, it's like Rock. You know, Rock's trying to do something nice. It says it's for your son. I take, <laughs> I take a picture. He's like, you know what you could do with that picture? So you can give it to him. I'll shine it up. You give it to him, and then he has his side comeback. So he's like, "You give it to him. He, he could, he could shine it up real yeah. nice." Then you pass it to this guy, Diesel. Doot, doot. Yeah, I, I wish I could remember what all the lines were he had because it was a great troll of all three guys. Yeah, he kind of, he kind of did the cookie cutter rock lines, shine it up, stick, mm-hmm. stick it up here. But he, mm-hmm. he did a little side for each. He's like, he's talking about um. Well, Diesel, we got two toot, and um, what's his name? He did do the the say your prayers, eat your vitamins for Hogan. He did, yeah, yeah say your prayers, eat your for vitamins Hall. for Hall. He was like, uh, I remember he said something about hey, Chico, yeah, or Chico, Chico, the man. <laughs> yeah, I thought this was an excellent backstage. Obviously, like we said earlier, like nobody really buying into, nobody really buying what the NWO was selling. Alo, your thoughts of the Rock and NWO backstage? Oh, favorite. Chico, raise the remote. Oh, yeah, that's what he did. He did the, the arms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was good stuff uh, from Dwayne and three of them being the victims, which is also funny to see because they were not the victims very much uh, in WCW. Uh, we see Jericho walking with the two belts, which... I guess WWF maybe, you know, unwittingly foreshadowed Chris Jericho. Like, they made him the first undisputed champion. Who knew that by 2020 he'd go down the way he has? Yes. Like, who knew that the next 18 years would maybe be even more successful than he'd ever been before? Like, I think most people probably thought that was his peak right there. And look at what he's done. He was still young in his career there. and Mm -hmm. I mean, that was I remember that time when... He kind of had he was like probably like thirty a meteoric rise, beating some of the top names in the industry to get those two titles. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting though to look at it then. Like, how many people at that time were like, "Oh, I wouldn't have expected them to make that Jericho," mm-hmm. and now you look back and it's like, who else could it have been but Jericho? Well, <laughs> the thing is, that's how Jer- you sh- you probably heard the story, but that's how Jericho found out because mm-hmm. those were kind of Vince's words, like, "Oh man, we must be going through something. We're gonna make Jericho the world champion." Yeah. <laughs> so we, we've heard we've heard that. And one thing about Jericho and Jr. talked about this, and you you don't like the, the whole Undertaker how the Undertaker changed, but the change kind of helps you a lot for your career, especially the longevity. Like if you show Chris Jericho throughout the years, it's a different guy almost every. If you yeah, go, he reinvents go himself. Years. Yeah, same thing with The Undertaker. So even JR's like, even though a lot of people didn't like the whole biker gimmick, but it was kind of good for him to give him give him a break a little bit. And like Jericho, had, he never changed the WWE music, but it's like a different person in every couple of years. And that actually 
helps you helps your longevity in the long run. Tri- uh, Triple H didn't really do it. He did it for a little bit, but after a while, he was pretty much the same, same music and stuff. But mm-hmm. th- that's what helped a lot of these ca- their best characters and guys have longevity in the business. And Chris Jericho's the embodiment of that. Oh, yeah. Like, for as long as he's done it. It's one of the, the things I always say when I talk about him being the greatest of all time. Like, he was successful in Mexico, successful in Japan, successful, like... In all the promotions here, did his stuff in New Japan. Now he's helping to launch AEW. Like, there's no one else who has done everything that he's done as successfully as he's done it in as many different places and as many different characters. Like, there's no one else that has a resume that equals his. Yeah, you mentioned it before. You just take the simple, smallest, you would think, insignificant things and turn them into catchphrases right <laughs> yeah it's just like a, what would normally be a throwaway line he makes it like the biggest thing anyone has said and it, he runs with it for in the, the last year and it becomes like the biggest thing wrestling fans are saying for a year and he seems to kind of jump off it before it becomes old and tired mm-hmm. and people are like oh he's still doing this right because he always finds the next thing yep <laughs> yeah he, he truly is the greatest of all time uh for the the lead into this we had the uh the, on the the promo there was like a clip of Austin saying that he's an addict and what he's addicted to is a WWF championship. And all I could think is like, where is that type of emotion in these characters now? I know. Like it, that was like, I almost like, like took a step back in my chair. Like, whoa. Step <laughs> A. Like, how does, how is no one else, like, how is there like no way to capture this emotion now? Like that this matters so much to someone like now I hate to say it cause it's like, it's kind of like a cliche thing, but the idea of the belt just being a prop, like it definitely was not a prop at that. Oh, time. it's a, it's a prop nowadays. And you don't even now. have this. It's just like a thing that's you don't there. even have title holders on TV all the time. You have them pop in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I remember that promo. I'm not sure. I don't think they showed it in the video package, but I remember Austin pacing back and forth in the ring, just going in the corner. And when he said, I'm a drug addict. Yeah, and the way he sold it, like it was like a, something serious, and that right. was his addiction. So, and like you said, like where's the inve- where is the uh, investment in anybody doing that today? But he sold it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it like it's so weird. Like they can easily write it off as like, you know, this is fiction. We're just telling stories on TV. The belts are just props. Nobody actually wins them. We just. Get who hit this shot. Tobias. Oh, nice. So Sixers down six somewhere. I don't know how much time is left. It's in the fourth quarter. It's like and that. eight minutes. Eight minutes left. So we're we're not coming in for a landing yet, as Mark Zumoff would say, but we're getting there. Um, but yeah, they could say that the belts are just props and these guys don't actually win them. It's just kind of written for them to get them. But it's amazing how something like that, like just having your characters... Act like they want this thing. Act like this thing matters. Act like there's nothing they want more than this. Make makes a difference because if you want to, if you look at it like in a comparison to sports, and if your favorite team is the Sixers or your favorite team is the Lakers or, or the Spurs or whoever, you want your team to like want to win the fucking championship more than anything. You know, if you like football, your favorite team is the Eagles or the Patriots or. The Kansas City Chiefs. If you're a Patriots fan, you shouldn't be watching this <laughs> podcast. Yeah, you Sorry. shouldn't be. 
but you want your team to like want to win more than anything. Why wouldn't you, if you're rooting for a guy in wrestling, to want to win the championship more than anything? And there, there is no character I can think of, especially in WWE, that like where you feel that way. Could be a problem with our sister squad, squad people who want to win the championship more <laughs> than anything. Could be. They may not want to. I think they would be superstars more than <laughs> basketball stars. Yeah. But, like, that was, like, maybe one of the most, like, eye-opening moments to me from this pay-per-view was just, like, hearing Kind of jumped out at you. Say that line. Yeah, like, I immediately had to write it down. But uh, Austin versus Jericho. Again, I think this is probably another one that maybe is more, like, from an entertainment standpoint than a pure wrestling standpoint. One that's more of, like, a storyline match than, like, a five-star classic match. But I felt like a really good main event, obviously a really good story, obviously a lot had been built up with Jericho at this point, obviously a lot of that was at the expense of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, we have the NWO get involved in the match to cost Austin the match, which is part of what leads to Austin having a match with Scott Hall at WrestleMania. Um, so, Alo, when you picked this show, obviously you said that your main reason for picking it was them being inducted in the Hall of Fame, and this was their debut back in the company. Did you have, like, any type of thought, feeling, or memory of the main event of this show? I didn't. I just remember the fact that the NWO got involved in this match. That's the main thing I remember from this main event. And like you said, it was more story-driven. Nothing really wrestling-wise really happened in this match. It just added to the story because we... we before we talked about start talking about the match, we talked about Jericho being the undisputed champion, and they're actually kind of like, in a way, they're kind of like selling it, making him more of a big deal because he did beat Rock and Austin in, in the same night, and then he did end up beating The Rock at Royal Rumble, and now Austin at No Way Out, so he's beating both of those guys individually, so they're validating him in more of a way than ever to actually put over that he is the undisputed champion. Oh, yeah. Uh, and Joey, did you have any real memory of this main event? Like, what were your thoughts of it, watching it back? I did. It was fun to watch. Um, again, like I said, this is a good time for Jericho. I mean, he's had a lot of them, but great time when he used the title holder. He's fighting these prominent guys. I thought the match Stone Cold was fun, um, fun to revisit. It was a little cheap to end it with the MWO way, but it made sense given that this was the introduction of them. You had to have him some, in some version. Um, I just felt... It kind of cheapened Jericho's win, but he was the heel, so I guess that's yeah, it's kind of it's the nature man. of the beast. And then he ended up with Stephanie McMahon, like as his uh, his like partner in crime for a while after this. Uh, when did that exactly start? Was it immediately? It was. It was after Jericho, after Triple H got his title win back. So it, it didn't last that long. Okay. Um, but yeah, I did think this was a fun a fun match, a fun main event. Obviously, big characters, a big story that happened. And this kind of led to like this story that would play out at WrestleMania with Triple H and Jericho. And also, to a degree, what played out um, at WrestleMania between Stone Cold Steve Austin and Scott Hall and The Rock and Hulk Hogan. So... Yeah, a very consequential show that maybe people don't look back on and think of it that way. Uh, 
Any final thoughts from anyone on this show? No, I enjoyed it. Yeah, overall, good show. A lot of like, like you said, a lot of fun elements. That's good to go back and watch them. Um, some of the wrestlers you might have forgot about. Uh, some some of the different things that, again, Rock shooting off on the NWO, Stone Cold being Stone Cold, things like that. It was a lot of fun to go back and just kind of take it all in. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Like I said, I gave it a showstopper because I actually just had a lot of fun from beginning to end. Uh, brought back a lot of good memories from uh, the old days as a wrestling fan. And, Alo, you said you have no final thoughts on it, just that you, you enjoyed the show? Yes. So then the good last, progression. Yeah. So the last thing I'll bring up then, uh, Ashley Flair showed up to <laughs> NXT this week. Uh, kind of to confront uh, Rhea Ripley, but... Along the way, your Bianca girlfriend got involved. Stole the show. Uh, this may be like I feel like. How do they not put the NXT title on her after having her eliminate so many people in the women's rumble and her showing in this segment? Like, is am I just being biased, or was she the takeaway from that segment? I thought I thought she was taken away in that segment because <laughs> because Prep sent it in the group text and and you know how I feel about the whole stereotypical things they have black mm-hmm. people do in WWE so like the whole time I just thought about the whole white chick scene of oh so you want to talk about mm-hmm. mothers so that's mm-hmm. that's what I felt like Bianca they had Bianca Belair doing like she like she was Shanene or something <laughs> on Martin and I I didn't like that part of it but I thought. It, those three, they look good together. And Bianca looks like a star. Triple and, threat match would be fun here. Yeah, and I did like the fact that they did include her in this segment because she isn't an afterthought because she does have the match at TakeOver Portland mm-hmm. next next weekend. So I'm glad that they did involve her and then just brush her brush her away and go straight, go straight to Rhea and Ashley. So I did, I did enjoy that. But I do think that she's a star. Even Charlotte acknowledged her being a star. And I think she's. I think. I, said, I think she's going to be on Raw soon. She'd be poised for a big year, it seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they because they put her over huge in the Royal Rumble. We talked about that last week. So I do think she'll be on the main roster in no time, and she'll be on Raw with uh, the Street Profits. But I, I did think it was good. I did think they took stuff away from her in that segment, but. I guess you could say it was effective. I didn't think I thought they should have gave Charlotte more of a beatdown. Maybe even Bianca gave Charlotte more of a beatdown, beat her with her braid, maybe. <laughs> to kind of had to like put em- Yeah, I because that's her thing. And I thought it would put more emphasis on Bianca, but that didn't happen. But I did think those three looked good together and that Bianca Belair look also looked like a star and looked like she did belong there. So what I liked about it, now obviously I am not a black woman, obviously. You're not? I'm not. I'm joking. All these I'm, years. I know. You've thought that for a long time, but I'm not. Uh, so the the thing I liked about it is I think Bianca Belair, a lot of what she's doing is she is highlighting, like, black girl culture. Uh, like, a lot of her kind of catchphrases, a lot of her mannerisms, a lot of the stuff she does, I think is is highlighting that. And the, maybe one of the main reasons why I might have viewed it a little differently than you did, I didn't see it until after I saw some social media reaction to it. And a lot of the social media reaction I saw to it were black women thinking it was funny, like her 
in the background when those two were talking, like the way she was reacting, and they were like sending other gifts of like Bianca basically doing this in the background. And I think that's probably why I enjoyed it was because I looked at it through that lens of seeing how people reacted to it. Maybe if I saw it without that first, I might have completely agreed with you. But it was like, I think something about seeing non-wrestling fans um, respond to Naomi at the Royal Rumble. I was like, oh, that's really cool that these like black women who don't watch wrestling see her and are like, oh, I, li- I don't know who she is, but I like her. I think I started to see that with Bianca Belair. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like She's speaking to people who are not normally watching this. Like She's getting eyes on this like from the outside. So I do agree with you. They did. There were elements of it where she got kind of pushed to the background, but I thought she was even stealing the show when she was the only one not talking. And I mm-hmm. love that she didn't like let it pass because a lot. Of, this is actually something I think uh, like Vince Russo talks about a lot, and like I think a lot of like critics of wrestling talk about a lot. Like when you're having a promo with someone. And you won't talk, like talk back to the person. Like they're insulting you, and you're holding the microphone down and just like yelling without using the microphone. Like why aren't you talking to the microphone? I think she did the. She didn't do the thing where you're just letting someone do this to you. She was making herself a part of it. Yeah, and she was like stealing the show from the background, which I thought was good. And maybe what they're gonna do, which I would love, is what if Bianca beats her at. NXT or TakeOver Portland, and then they do have a triple threat match with Bianca as the champion. I don't know if that's going to happen. For the NXT title, yeah. Or maybe fun. we don't get a finish. Maybe Ashley doesn't allow there to be a finish at TakeOver Portland. And we get a triple threat with these three. Obviously, we know that they love to have multi-person matches on WrestleMania, so why, why let this be any different? If it gets Bianca Belair on WrestleMania, I'm all for it. You know? Yeah, so. yeah but I, like I said... I hate when they do this, but because like we love Bianca Belair so much, and but I did like the fact that they put her toe to toe, and they didn't like kind of like go blow right past her. Yeah, uh, it's good that she now is a part of it. I don't know if she'll be a part of it going forward. I almost feel like she has to be. Uh, Seems like she will. Seems like it's yeah, definitely. It felt like like this wasn't by accident. No, it's just thought or something. Uh, and I hope that that's the case. Uh, but that is everything I had to discuss from from this week. Obviously, we discussed everything from No Way Out 2002, Alo. Yeah, one more thing about NXT. Did you catch the Velveteen Dream comeback? I didn't see it. I did, I did. see that he came it's back, nice. though. And I'm disappointed that I, that I now, in hindsight, that I did That's didn't. something you could segment. You can yeah. watch. Okay. You okay. Bookmark. Okay. You're going to love his tights because <laughs> on the because he came back in the tech Undisputed Era. And on his back, on the butt of his tights, it says, call me Marina. And <laughs> has Marina Shafir's face and her, their son's face on his tights. Wow. Yeah, I do love that. He's, you know, he, I've said before, he's like one of the handful of things that I actually care about in wrestling. And it's, it's good to see him come back. And hopefully he's like about to, to take off again. And it seems like he probably will. If they immediately had him come back and face off with those guys, it means he's going to be in a prominent position. So I, I think that's something to look forward to. Definitely. Um, so anything else? I have 1% battery on, on my computer. So anything else before I sign off? I'm good. 
All right. So uh, next week, uh, we just talked about NXT. So next weekend is the 28th NXT TakeOver. So next week, when we're, we're going to revisit the first NXT TakeOver. NXT TakeOver Arrival. Uh, we had Adrian Neville at the time <laughs> defending the NXT title against Bo Dallas in a ladder, in a ladder match. Uh, the Ascension versus Too Cool for the NXT Tag Team Championship. Mm. And the famous women's championship match between Paige and Emma. And one of the best matches of NXT history, Antonio Cesaro and Sami Zayn in the opener. So I'm looking forward to it. It should be a lot of fun. And a lot like the Raw episode we did when we revisit the, the Foley win, I'm looking forward to the whole, what the hell happened? Yeah, <laughs> me too. It's like... Like we need to have like a, like a multiple choice. It's like what the hell happened? Vince does didn't work. So for the first time in the history of the Matt Madness Wrestling Podcast, my MacBook died before we finished recording. I'm actually on the way home from Sexyville right now. I have no idea if the file even got a chance to save. Uh, so hopefully it did, but we only had about 30 seconds left in the show anyway. So I guess this is our closer. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our review of No Way Out 02 for Mr. Sexy Punta Cana, then now forever, C.K. Joe Rottermill. For Mr. Wednesday Night Live, we call him Alo. The ladies call him Balo, Aaron Lloyd. I am Ron Pashery Jr., We'll see you next week. They talking all day, talking all day. Hop on the top rope, but the land with his elbow. Got him now, put him down right now. Hit him with the palm handle. Tuning up the band, y'all don't understand. Fist of Superman, it's a summer slam. Here we go again. Fans mocking man, man, I hate my balls. Shut the Vince McMahon, it ain't shake the land off the cell. Fans love it, ain't hard to tell. Talking madness, awesome. Well, what I'm cooking, man, y'all off the smell.